0: Amen, amen. Well, it is good to be with you today, church. I hope you are doing well. Uh, if it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are we're thrilled that you're here, checking things out, worshiping with us, and and I would love a chance to reach out and follow up. Uh, so you do me a huge favor at some point during the service, just pull out your phone and you just do it right now. Even text the word "welcome" to that number that you see on the screen. So I got to do just text welcome to that number. Uh, Or if you prefer, we've got cards in the back and cards on our table outside, Uh, just our welcome cards. You can fill out your information on that and just leave it on the table. Um, Like I said, it just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. Uh, and, and you find us going verse by verse through the book of Acts. Uh, so last week, I, I wasn't here, uh, but thankfully, Lee Parker, one of our elders, stepped in and, and, and was able to lead us through Acts chapter 3. So I hope you were here last week. If you weren't, please check that out. He did a phenomenal job breaking down Acts chapter 3. And uh, today we're going to we're gonna pick up at the end of 3 and, and step right into chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and turn to Acts chapter 4. Uh, and Lee was giving me a hard time because we've been going so slow and taking little, a couple of verses here and there throughout this entire series. And then I give him a whole chapter, uh, which he was very thankful for. Uh, but I told him, you know, hey, we're going to start taking bigger chunks. So uh, he had all of chapter 3 last week. And today we're going to do the first couple of verses of chapter 4. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. That's a joke. Uh, we're gonna do verses one through 22 of chapter four. Okay, so I told you we're taking bigger chunks here. All right, so Acts chapter four, uh, starting in verse one, we're gonna take it all the way through uh, Acts chapter uh, chapter four, verse 22, and this picks up uh, right at the end of Acts chapter. 3. It's a continuation of what was going on in Acts chapter three. So just a reminder of what happened last week. So we, we end chapter two with the church being formed, right? These, these 3,000 believers gathering together as the people of God, and we saw some of their daily and weekly practices. And then in Acts chapter three, Peter and John go to the temple as they regularly did. They go that evening to the temple. They see a man begging. He was lame from birth, couldn't walk, was there begging every single day for help. And he looks at Peter and John, he asks for help. And little does he know that they're not going to give him money. No, They're going to give him something far greater than that. And he, I love it. So they looked right at him. Like they looked intently at him and said, I don't, I don't have silver and gold. But by the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy's healed, right? Just greatest mirror, like just incredible, this mirrorless guy who's never walked before in his life is, is healed all of a sudden and is up and is he's jumping around through the temple, right? Like as we would too, right? Like if that was us, we'd be jumping around, screaming, hollering. It was incredible, an amazing moment. And everybody's like, whoa, what's going on? This guy, he 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 was crippled and now now, he, now he's walking. Like what's going on? This crowd gathers and we see what Peter does. When, when a crowd gathers, Peter just preaches, right? He's like, oh, this crowd is for me to preach the gospel. Like that's how he sees it. So he he preaches the gospel, and, and chapter four is just continuing on in that moment, okay? So just keep that in mind. I know like sometimes with the chapters and verses, we kind of see a stopping point and a breaking point, uh, but your chapters and verse numbers uh, are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that was added in later to help us kind of find stuff. So just keep that in mind. So this is a continuation. As we start in chapter four, verse one, it's a continuation of that moment where Peter and John are preaching to this crowd after this miracle had happened. So starting in verse 1, let's go ahead and read it. We'll carry it through to verse 22, and then we'll spend our time breaking it down. So it says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening." But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On that next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high, who were in the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man had been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, "'Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard.'" And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old." So remember the context. Remember what's going on, what's happening. Peter performs this miracle at the temple. It was a crowded moment. They were there for the evening sacrifice. Lots of folks, lots of people. He preaches and the temple authorities, the temple guards. So you see there, uh, the priest, the captain of the temple, that's, that's like the temple police, the guy who's in charge of temple security. That's who that is. And then the Sadducees, the Sadducees was one of the, the ruling parties of the Jewish councils. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. These are like two different parties within the Jewish council. Uh, these, these folks are, are greatly annoyed. They're annoyed and they come upon them. And that, that means that they confronted them. This was not a, hey, uh, could, we, uh, could we just, you know, could we just have a chat for a moment? Love to just, love to just talk with you about what's going on. No, they, they confronted them in a hostile way. They're coming upon them. That's what that means. And they're greatly annoyed. Why are they greatly annoyed? Because they're talking about Jesus. They're preaching about Jesus. And not just that, but they're preaching about the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees, the part of that ruling class, uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So not only are they annoyed that Peter and John are doing this miracle, first of all, not only are they annoyed that they're preaching without their authority, without giving permission to do this, now they're, they're preaching about things that the Sadducees don't believe in. So they're even more annoyed. So they, they, they don't like what's going on. So they're greatly annoyed and they arrest Peter and John. Now this is significant because this is this is the first moment of persecution. This is the first persecution we see in the early church. This is a this is a significant moment, right? So we in chapter 2 where it said that that they had great favor amongst all the people, right? Like people uh, they were treating everybody else well. Uh, everybody else was looking favorably upon the church, but but things are about to start shifting. Things are about to start changing. And it starts right here in chapter 4. So this is the first bit of persecution, the first bit of opposition. That the church sees. And it's, it's only going to get worse from here. It's only going to get worse. And then the next day they stand before the council. So they arrest them. They put them in jail overnight. It's already evening. They don't want to deal with the trial overnight. Technically they're not supposed to do that, even though they did that with Jesus. But you know, the rules didn't apply to Jesus. But whatever. So, so they put them in jail. They're going to stand before the council the next day. And that, this, this interaction that we see here, starting in verse 7, this is the main point of the passage. This is, this is where we want to focus in on and see what's going on. So this council asks them, by what power and by what name are you doing this? And Peter tells them, it's because of Jesus. It's the power of Jesus. You want to know why this guy's well? You want to know why all this is going on? It's the power of Jesus. And that's the most important thing I want you to hear today, that there is, there is great power in Jesus Christ. There is great power in the name of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. If we can grasp that today, that's a win. That's the main idea. The main point is, is there is such great power in Jesus. And like I said, this, this is a significant moment. This is a big deal because persecution's only gonna get worse. It's only gonna get worse here. And, and how how is the church to persevere through that? How is the church to overcome that persecution? Is it by their own strength? No. It's by the power in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a big deal for us. When we face opposition in life, when we face difficulty, how do we get through it? How do we persevere? It's because of Jesus. It's by clinging tightly to Jesus. And that's what we see from Peter and John here. It's what we see from the early church. So I wanna give you today three ways that we see Jesus's power displayed before us today and what that means for us living in 2022. So three ways that we see Jesus's power. We see that, that Jesus has the power to save the power to change lives, and power over fear. So that's where we're going today. If you're taking notes, that's our, that's our outline. So first point, let's go ahead and jump in. First point, Jesus has the power to save. He has the power to save. So remember, that this, this whole situation that's happening, right? Like The whole situation, the confrontation, the arrest, the trial that they're having now, it's, it's all because of what Peter did in chapter 3. It's all because of this healing that was performed, this man who was healed and then Peter preaching the gospel. And like we said, the, the, the council didn't like this one bit. The council didn't like this one bit. And, and, and they asked, by, by what power are you doing this? By what power are you doing this? Like I said, this is a big deal because uh, the Jewish people were, were ruled in a, in a theocracy, right? Like at this point, they don't have a king, they don't have like a congress or a parliament or anything like that. They're, they're under Roman rule. But in their own community, in their own context, the, the highest level of authority for them as Jewish people was this religious council. So this religious council, which was led by the high priest and made up of of these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and all these things that you see throughout your New Testament, that's the council. And these guys have, have a lot of authority. They can't do anything they want to because they have to get permission from the Romans, but they can make your life miserable. And like we saw with Jesus, they can stir up a crowd and get somebody who was completely innocent crucified on a cross. So these guys have a lot of power. And remember, Jesus' crucifixion happened just a few weeks before this incident. So these are the same people that Jesus stood before with his trial. These are the same people that got Jesus crucified. And now these same people that killed Jesus have Peter and John standing before them and asking them the same question that they asked Jesus. They asked Jesus, by what power and by what name are you doing the things that you're doing? And now they're asking the same question to Peter and John. Just try to put yourself in that situation and imagine what was going on with these guys. So they asked, by what power and by what name? And and look again, because this is the most significant part that we see here. Look again at verses eight through 12. This is Peter's response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is all because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. So what what does this tell us about Jesus's power to save? Well, the first thing we see here is that we need salvation. We are people in need of salvation. This is what, what Lee talked about last week, that we are all broken. We are all in desperate need of a savior. Look at, look at what Peter says again in verse 12, right in there. He says, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. We have to be saved. We need to be saved. Peter tells this council, look, you, you guys had the Messiah, you had the very son of God before you, this Jesus of Nazareth, and you rejected him. You rejected him and you crucified him. And look, we, we've done the same thing. We've rejected Jesus. Romans 1 tells us that, that apart from Christ, we, we see the truths of God. We see who God is, what God has done. We see all that and we go, no, I'm good. Don't want that. We reject who God is. We reject the truths of God and we choose our sin and we chase after our sin. The way I describe it to people is, is we, we've been given a choice between God and sin and we have joyfully and gleefully chosen our sin. And we do it every single day and twice on Sunday. We choose our sin, right? That's how much we choose our sin. We reject God and we, we chase after our sin. We desire sin, we want our sin. We've rejected God every step of the way. The Bible makes it clear that, that we're all sinners, right? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Your sweet grandma is a sinner. We're all sinners, okay? All of us are sinners. And what the Bible then says is, is not only are, are you just a sinner, which means, you know, we, we kind of hear that and we're like, yeah, sure, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done. You know, I've made some mistakes. I think we could all admit, you know, I've, we, we've said or we've done, we've thought things that we shouldn't do. But it's not just that, right? We're not just sinning against each other. We're not just sinning against our conscience here. No, we have sinned against a perfect, holy, eternal God. And the Bible makes it clear that what our sins deserve, what we are owed because of our sin, because of chasing after our sin and rejecting God, we deserve wrath and punishment and to be separated from God in hell forever. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned because of our sins. And look, I I love that that Peter says here, we must be saved, right? He doesn't say, hey, counsel, you've rejected Jesus. You've rejected the cornerstone, which means you've rejected the most important part of God's plan. Like everything God is doing, it's all about Jesus. You threw that away. So you just, you need to be better, right? Could you just, could you be a little better could you try a little harder right this is what lee talked about last week too like the gospel message is not be better or try harder right we can't save ourselves that's not the message of the bible the message of the gospel is not just be better just try harder and just hope that at the end of your life your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds that's not the message of the of the gospel we can't save ourselves we must be saved We must be saved. We have to be saved. We have no hope left to ourselves. We can't do anything about this debt of sin that we've stored up. But that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Like, that's the good news of the gospel. So not only do we need salvation, but we have Jesus, and he's the only one who can save. So we need salvation, and Jesus is the only one who can save. Well, y'all, there's no other options. There's no other options. We have no other options, right? It is not, it's not about us saving ourselves. It's not about us looking to something else outside of Scripture, outside of Jesus. No, our only hope is Jesus. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one. And look, the, the way to Jesus, the way to salvation, it's exclusive, it's exclusive. What, is, what does Peter say? Who's he talking about? This Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This Jesus. He, he's making a big deal about this. This Jesus. It's not some made-up version of Jesus that we just like better, you know, take away all the things that we disagree with, and we, we add in the stuff that we like or the things that we want to believe about Jesus. Like, it's not, not a created Jesus, not a made-up Jesus in our own mind. No, it's, it's this Jesus. It's the Jesus of Scripture. It's the true Jesus, This is who we have to believe in. This is who we have to put our faith in to have salvation. There's no other options. And look, Peter makes it clear. It's only by Jesus. This is not a, you know, all roads eventually lead to the same place kind of thing. That's not what's, what's going on in Scripture. That's not the picture that we're given. It's not just, oh, you just, as long as you believe in something, you know, uh, all, all truth eventually leads to God, or all things that we believe to be true eventually lead, lead to God, right? Like, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what we're told. It's not all roads eventually lead to the same place. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. This, this Jewish council that they're standing before, These these religious leaders of the day, the guys who had their Old Testament memorized, knew it backwards and forwards, they need to put their faith in Jesus to be saved. Jews today need to put their faith in Jesus to be saved. Muslims need to put their faith in Jesus to be saved. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses need to put their faith in this Jesus to be saved. Atheists, agnostics, whatever and whoever you believe in, it, it needs to be Jesus, it's only Jesus. And look, we need, we need to be clear on this. And is that, is that easy to talk about in our culture? No. No, it gets us thrown out immediately. People don't like being told this. But this is the truth of the gospel. It's only through Jesus that we can have salvation. Jesus is the only one who can save. So not only do we need salvation, not only is Jesus the only one who can save, when Jesus saves Jesus saves completely and continually. He saves us completely and continually. This is what what we see in chapter three, what we pointed to last week. When Jesus saves us, it's a a complete salvation, right? It's not a a partial salvation. It's not, well, these sins over here are forgiven, but these other ones, you gotta gotta do a little bit more work. Gotta do a little bit more to get those forgiven. No, the message of the gospel is we are completely forgiven. Past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus. When he saves, he saves completely. And what chapter three points us to, what we saw last week is is that it points us to this this end where we get to spend eternity with Jesus in complete salvation, right? Like, Like not only are we completely saved and completely set free from all the effects of sin and evil and brokenness, not only is that, but all of creation is redeemed and set free from the curse of sin. That's what Jesus does. He saves completely. And he also saves continually. He saves continually. Remember what what Lee talked about last week with, with the healing of chapter three, that the healing in chapter three, what we see with this lame man, with this beggar, what we see there with his physical healing, it gives us a picture of our spiritual healing. So look, at, look again at, at, at your, your passage here. If you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline two words. In verse 9, right at the end there, I want you to underline the word healed. It says, by, by what means this man has been healed? Underline that, circle that, and then jump down to verse 12 right at the end there where it says, by which we must be saved. Underline saved or circle saved. Those two words that we see there, healed and saved, translated in your English Bible, that's the same exact word. It's the same word in the original Greek language. Same word here, for healed and saved. And again, remember that this, this healing that we see gives us a picture of our salvation. We don't just need Jesus the first time we put our faith in him, right? Like this is not just, we put our faith in Jesus, we get, our, get out of hell-free card and we move about our lives. No, that's not, that's not what the gospel tells us. As Lee reminded us last week, the gospel is, is for every day. We need Jesus every day. I don't know about y'all, but I struggle Every single day. We have this thing that, that theologians refer to as remaining sin in our lives that we have to battle and wrestle with during our time here on earth before Jesus comes back. We have to wrestle and battle with these, these sinful desires that we have. And we all, we all have them, right? It could be under any name. It could be pride or greed or materialism or, or lust or approval or, or whatever it is, right? Anger, whatever it is. We all have these things that we struggle with. And remember, the message of the gospel is not a ladder that I have to climb and just try harder and be better. And oh, I'm struggling with, with anger today or impatience. So I just I just need, to, just need to be better. I just need to try harder. I just need to be more patient. I just need to not be so angry. Yes, but you don't, you don't overcome these things by our own strength. That's not the message of the gospel. This, this man who was healed, as Peter reminds us over and over and over again, it wasn't by his own strength. It wasn't because of him. It wasn't just because, you know, that particular day he was just doing really good and he was really holy that day and hadn't sinned yet and that's why he got healed. No, it's because of Jesus. So when we have these moments of struggle, when we have these these broken things that creep into our lives, when our sin cripples our relationship with God, when our sin cripples our relationship with one another, we don't just try harder. We don't just be better, right? We go to Jesus because the gospel is for every day, and we need healing every day. And only Jesus can heal what's broken inside of us. Only Jesus can heal the brokenness of our sin and our struggle and our moments of despair, and shame, and guilt, and frustration, and anger, and disappointment. Only Jesus can heal that, and Jesus wants to. That's the message of the gospel. It's not try harder. It's come and bring everything to Jesus. Bring it all to him, and just dump it at his feet, and say, Jesus, we need you. Heal what's broken. Heal what's missing. Fix me, Lord. And he does, and he will. And we gotta keep coming back to that every single day. We need him to heal and renew us, and he does. He does. And he finds great joy in that. And he doesn't get tired of it. He's not greatly annoyed with us. He wants to do this. So go to him. Whatever you got going on, whatever struggle it is, go to Jesus. He's the one who provides continual healing. So Jesus has the power to save. Second thing we see here is Jesus has the power to change lives. Jesus has the power to change lives. Look at verse, look at verse 13. So, so Peter and John tell them, look, you want to know who did this? You want to know who healed? It's Jesus. Yeah, that guy that you killed, that guy that you crucified, that guy that was raised from the dead three days later. Yeah, that guy, he's the one that did this. It's because of him. And now, now look at their response. Verse 13. It says now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So Peter and John are referred to here as, as uneducated common men. What that means is, is they weren't trained religious professionals, right? Like you have these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these scribes. These were men who were trained from an early age in all of this stuff, right? They had all these schoolings. They had all these rabbis who would teach and mold and disciple these guys. And they would sit under their teaching. They would learn from them. And eventually they would take their place in kind of these, one of these ruling classes, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, scribe, whatever it was. So they were, they were professionally taught in these schooling systems. So these guys look at Peter and John and they realize that y- 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 y'all, y'all, didn't, y'all didn't go into one of these schools. You're just, you're just regular guys. you are just regular dudes. There's regular people, but but their knowledge and their ability to proclaim the truth of God left left these professional scholars astonished. They were astonished. Now what, what, what could cause that type of perception? What could cause that type of reaction? Well, what causes, you know, regular guys, fishermen, regular average dudes to speak this way? to have the kind of faith that led to a healing, right? Like this this guy who's been lame from birth and now he's healed and he's running around and jumping and walking and screaming. Like what leads to that? What causes causes Peter, a guy who just a few weeks before watching the trial of Jesus, watching Jesus stand before these very same men, what causes a guy like that? And then had people come up and go, hey, you, you were one of his disciples, right? And he's like, nope, wasn't me wasn't me. Like, so much, that he's denying Jesus so much that he cusses out a little girl. Like, what leads Peter to go from that guy to now he's boldly proclaiming the truth before these very same men? What causes that? Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Jesus is the only one who can radically change lives like that. And I love it. It says that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And I've heard I've heard this taught before where where it says well they, they realized who these guys were. Like it was like, Oh, oh, they're they're disciples of Jesus. It's like, oh, could you step into the light? Oh, oh, you're you're Peter and John. Okay, I, I recognize you now. No, that's not that's not what's going on. That's not what's going on. And unfortunately, that that waters down what actually is happening. No, they, they recognized that these guys who were common, uneducated, regular guys are now doing things that are just astonishing them, blowing their minds. And the only reason for that is because they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Jesus had changed their lives. And it was evident. It was clear. It was visible to everyone around them. So the question we need to ask ourselves is can people recognize that I've been with Jesus? Can the people in my life, the people I work with, the people I live next to, my family, my friends, those those that are around and in my life, can they can they recognize that I've been with Jesus? And you guys know this uh, I got I have 3 kids uh, our youngest Myla, is is 1 years old and uh you know I don't I guess it's just you know by the time you have 3 us as parents, we get a little lazy. I don't know, maybe that's what it is. Uh, our house was uh, very well baby-proofed with the first two, right? But this one is just like, ah, you know, life's a little busier. I don't have time to be unlocking cabinets every time I need in. It. So it's just, you know, it's fair game at this point. And she is at the point where she's crawling around, she's getting a little bigger, she's able to do more stuff and she can just open up anything that, that is that is able to be open, she can open it up. And her favorite thing to do is just is just pull out all the stuff. She just loves to pull out all the things, whatever it is, whatever cabinet she's in, she's just gonna pull it all out and just leave it strewn about the floor. Now, the good thing about that is I, I can always tell where Milo's been. Like there's just this trail of stuff leading to where she is. So if she's ever too quiet, I'm like, oh, where'd the baby go? Oh, I just follow the stuff, right? I just follow the toys. So one day, uh, a couple oh I guess it was a week ago, a week or so ago um, it was it got really bad, um, so Kendra was subbing that day, so she was at work, uh, so I was going to take Livy, our our middle child, to preschool, and then we leave our house like you know eight forty something like that so it 's like eight o 'clock and, and i'm you know livy 's entertaining herself she 's playing, and then the baby the baby 's quiet the baby 's playing with something she 's in the living room, and we have this uh, Oh, this cabinet, this, this thing, this buffet or whatever it is that our TV sits on. And inside the cabinet, it's got these sliding doors. And inside we have all of our games stored there. So like, you know, you got Candyland, shoots and Ladders, Guess Who, all these different games that our kids love to play. They're all stored there. Now, typically, she just opens the door and she closes them, she opens, she closes them, opens them, close them. And sometimes she'll pull out like the Uno cards and she loves to spread those all out over the floor. So she was playing over there and I was like, okay, she's entertained, she's good, Livvy's good. I'm gonna eat some breakfast in peace and quiet, which is very rare in our household to have some peace and quiet. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat my breakfast, I'm gonna drink my coffee and it's just, it's nice. Well, Livvy comes in a couple minutes later. She's like, dad, Mila's in the games. She's getting into the games. I was like, oh, it's fine. She's not crying, she's not fussing, she's entertained. It's nice and peaceful. You go keep doing what you're doing. Leave the baby alone. Don't mess with the baby. Don't break this, all right? So she goes, and she comes back a couple minutes later. She's like, no, Dad, she's really getting into it. I was like, no, she's not crying. I don't want to hear it. She's fine. Go back to what you are doing. It's not a big deal. A few minutes later, she comes in. She's like, no, Dad, you need to come look right now. And I go into our living room, and I think we have a picture. This is what I come out to. I don't know <laughs> if you can see that or not, but, uh, but that's what she did. She pulled out every single game that we own and distributed all the pieces, all the cards, all the stuff all over the floor. So I come out and I'm just, I'm at a loss for words. I was like... Okay, yeah, I should have listened the first time. I should have listened to Livy the first time. This is, this is on me. This is on me. All right, let's start cleaning up. So I recruit Livy to start helping me clean up. I don't have enough time to get it all done before we leave for school. I got to go back and, and, and after I drop Livy off, come back. I mean, it took me well over an hour to put all of the stuff back, all the pieces. And honestly, I haven't gone back to check, but I'm pretty sure pieces are all mixed up. Like, I don't know what's in what game box. I just know that eventually I got it all put back. But the point is, the point is I, I can clearly see where Mila's been. I can clearly see there's evidence of what she's done and what she's doing, right? She makes it clear, this is where I've been, this is what I've been playing with. Look, the same should be with us, right? When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, people should be able to tell that we're with Jesus. Our lives should be evident. Our lives of, of spending time with Jesus, of being with Jesus, it should be clear to everyone around us that I'm With Jesus. People should be able to tell that I've been with Jesus. There's this this really cool moment in the Old Testament where the Israelites, they've left. Egypt, that they've gone through the Red Sea, they come before Mount Sinai, and those of you are familiar, you know that, that Moses goes up to the mountaintop, and he spends 40 days and 40 nights at the top of Mount Sinai, spending time with the pres- in, in the presence and in the glory of God, and he receives the law, he receives the Ten Commandments, and he comes down from the mountain, and his face is, is literally glowing right? It's literally glowing and it, it's scaring everybody. Like everybody is, is just scared of that. And I mean, think about it. You see somebody with a glowing face, you'd be like, okay, something, something is wrong with you. You need to go see a doctor, get that fixed. Like we'd be a little, little taken aback too, right? Like so, so Moses, what he does is he puts this veil over his face to, to cover up the, this reflection of the glory of God. He covers his face. It doesn't scare anybody anymore, And Paul, speaking on this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, says this, this is how we're to live. Just like Moses, this is how we're to live too. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So Paul tells us, look, we, we we don't hide the glory of the Lord anymore. We don't hide that we've been in the presence of the Lord. No, no, we live with an unveiled face. And we display the glory of Lord. We, we behold it in and we reflect that to the rest of the world. And it says that, that we're being transformed into the same image. That word image is the Greek word icon. And what it means is, is likeness. What it means is when we live our lives with Jesus in the presence of Jesus, spending time with Jesus, we reflect that image to the rest of the world around us. And that's how we're to live. We're not to hide that. Anymore. We're not to live with a veil over our face. No, we, we boldly display our relationship with Jesus to the world around us. And look, if you wanna you wanna get to that point, you wanna get to that point? Look, we don't we don't have to we don't have to overcomplicate this, right? Like there's not a not a ton of steps that we have to do. H- how do we how do we get to this point where people are seeing Jesus with our lives? Well, we do just what Moses did. We do just what Peter and John did. we, we spend time with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus. You want to be more like Jesus? You got to spend time with him. You got to, you got to open up your word and you got to, you got to dig into God's word. You got, to, you got to be a church around other believers who are encouraging you and praying for you and holding you accountable. Get, get in, a, in a small group, right, where people can really know what's going on with your life right now. They can know the details, not just know your name, not just know your face, but know what you're struggling with. Know where you're weak. Know where you need help and encouragement and prayer, Spend time praying like this is, you want to be like Jesus, you want to show the world Jesus, we got to spend time with him. How are we going to become like somebody if we never spend time with him, right? Like that's not how it works. You spend time with Jesus and then you live like Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, you live like Jesus. This is what Paul talks about when he means to be transformed, right? We, we don't live according to our old ways anymore, right? Like we, we don't go that way anymore. We're with Jesus. We live for Jesus. We live like Jesus. Jesus. And we we talk about this a lot around here. What what it means to follow Jesus is is Jesus isn't just a part of your life. Right? Jesus isn't just just get a little bit of of you. No, He He gets the whole thing. Living for Jesus means full devotion to Jesus. He gets everything. It's all or nothing when it comes to Jesus. It's not, oh Jesus, you can have this little part of my life over here, and you can have this little, you know, hour or so on Sundays, and that's what you get, Jesus, but everything else is mine. No, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. It means he gets it all. Full devotion to Jesus, giving him everything. This is what it means to live a changed life in Christ. This is what, it, what will lead to those around us seeing Jesus in the way we live, in the way we act, in the way we talk, in the way we post on social media. All of these areas of our lives, we need to ask ourselves, can people see Jesus? Are we showing Jesus? Can people recognize that I've been with Jesus? The disciples, it it was clear. It was evident. It was visible to everyone. It should be the same with us. So Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to change lives. And Jesus has power over fear. And this is where we're going to end today. So Jesus has power over fear. So after after recognizing this council, recognizes and admits a genuine miracle has been performed, they hear the explanation, they hear all these things, they're confronted with the power of Jesus. Do they do they repent? Do they put their faith in Jesus? No. No, they don't. They don't respond to Jesus, they don't they don't put their faith in Jesus. Uh, instead, this is what they tell the disciples, starting in verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they they kick them out of the room, they're like, all right, guys, what do we do about this? What shall we do with these men? for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They can't deny that a genuine miracle has been performed. There's no way to get around that. So what do they do? But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them that that word means to, to threaten them. Again, they're not being nice. It's not a cordial conversation. They threaten their lives to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them in. And they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed is more than 40 years old." So they 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 threaten Peter and John. Remember, these are the same guys that got Jesus crucified, and they're standing before Peter and John. And they're saying, "Hey, you know, you saw what happened to your leader, right? You want the same thing? You want to do, you want you want to die?" That's what they're doing. They're they're threatening their lives. They threaten their lives to to not speak anymore. And I love how Peter and John respond. They say they say it was this in in verse nineteen and verse twenty. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen. And her. Now that, that's a little choppy in our English translation, but in the original language, this is, this is emphatic. What they're telling this council, again, who just threatened their lives, what they're telling them is, hey, guess what? We're not stopping at all. Okay, I know you said to stop, but just so you know, we're definitely not stopping. We can't help it. We gotta talk about Jesus. We gotta share Jesus. We can't stop talking about Jesus. And we're not gonna stop. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you threaten. I don't care what's going on. We're talking about Jesus. We're definitely not stopping. All right, y'all do what you gotta do, but we're not stopping. That's what they told these guys. And again, these are the same people that killed Jesus. The same people. Same people Peter was terrified of just weeks before, and now they're boldly proclaiming before them, I don't care what you do to me. I'm following Jesus. Now, what, what, what got them to this point? Right? Again, it, it's the power of Jesus. That's the power of Jesus. And look, they know how great Jesus' power is. They've seen it up close, firsthand, over and over and over again. One of, one of those ways, one of those moments we see uh, in, in the life of Jesus comes in, in Mark chapter 4. So Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, it says this, On that day when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's the disciples. So Jesus said to the disciples, let's go across the other side. So they're they're now at this point in Jesus' life. They're on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're about to cross over to the other side. So they get in the boats, and they're crossing over. So verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling, all right, so, so again, keep this in mind, you're on a sea, you're going across the other land, all of a sudden, terrible storm, and it's not just like, oh, there's some rain clouds, oh, you know, there's some wind, no, this is like, it's about to sink the boat, the water is coming in, it's about to sink the boat, and where's Jesus? Verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, he was sleeping, That's crazy, y'all. That's crazy. I I don't care who you are. That's crazy. He was asleep in this. I don't know how that happened, but he was asleep. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we're about to die? We're sinking. We're perishing. We're about to drown. What are you doing? And Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I mean, again, try to picture that. You're on a boat. It's going up and down back and forth. Water's coming in, waves and wind and rain everywhere. And Jesus comes out and says, stop it. And it stops. Y'all, that's crazy. That's crazy. Who does that? Who does it? Who is this guy? That's what they say. They said to them, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? They're like, did you you not see? What, What do you mean, why are we afraid? Like, what did you think was going on? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Man, that's a convicting question. That's a convicting question. Jesus has power, and he has power over my fears. He has control over the storms of my life. He has power, and Jesus is the one who can give us strength and faith and peace to trust him in every storm, no matter how scary. And look, the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we let fear prevent us from doing things all the time, right? We let what we're scared of prevent us from doing things all the time. A simple example is, I don't like heights, a more accurate way to say I'm I'm terrified of heights all right I'll just be honest with y'all I'm scared of heights don't like it one bit don't want to be high up on anything ladders whatever you name it don't want any part of that don't like it at all and one of the things that this does is it prevents me from doing things so Kendra and I recently saw this truck and it was it was pulling behind it a hot air balloon so it had the, the basket and the balloon and all that she's like Ooh, that'd be fun to do Look, y'all, there is no way on God's green earth that I'm ever getting in a hot air balloon. Like, I don't understand why people would do that. It's a wicker basket held up by a blowtorch and a balloon. All right, that's it. There's no steering wheel. There's no landing gear. Like, that balloon pops, you're done. That blowtorch goes out, you're done. That wicker basket just has a little small hole in it, you're done, all right? No, No, I'm good. I will keep my two feet here on God's earth with no problem, and I'm good with that. I'm fine. All right, so like I can say that that's just crazy, but really it's fear that's preventing me from doing that. I'd be terrified. I'd be in the corner, huddled up in the fetal position, crying probably. All right, that's me. So fear prevents us from doing stuff all the time. And it prevents us from following Jesus all the time. Why is, is one of the most repeated commands throughout scripture, do not fear? It's because God knows fear paralyzes us. It paralyzes us stops us from following him all the time. We're scared of what somebody might say or think about us, so, so we don't talk with them about Jesus. We don't share faith with them. We don't, we don't invite them to church with us. You know, we're scared of, of losing what we have, so, so we're not generous with our money and our finances. Fear prevents us from making certain decisions that we know we need to make, we know we need to do this. We know we're supposed to do this, but we're scared. So we stop and we don't do it. Fear prevents us from, from protecting someone or something or standing up for what is right, speaking out for what is right. Keeps us from being honest, right? Like none of us enjoy the awkward conversations, right? So if there's a chance to avoid those awkward conversations, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm gonna drive around those awkward conversations as best I can, right? Like nobody likes doing that, but that might not be the best thing. But fear prevents us from being honest and having those, uh, keeping us from, from stepping into those difficult and awkward situations. Uh, parents in the room, how, how often are our decisions with our kids based out of fear and not wisdom, right? A healthy fear is a good thing, right? Like we don't want our kids running out into the road or touching a hot stove. But sometimes we can take it too far because, because we just want to control. We just want to hold them tightly, right? I get that. That's a fear that we struggle with all the time. Look, this council that we see before us, again, they've seen a clear miracle, a clear working of Jesus, and they let their fear prevent them from seeing Jesus. Look, the truth is, we tend to look more at the storms in life than we do Jesus, right? We tend to look more at the storms than we do Jesus. We tend to forget how powerful and strong Jesus is, and all we see is the wind and the waves and the storm and that the boat is sinking and that's all we're focused on completely forgetting that our god has the power to say stop it and it will obey let's look more to jesus than the storm peter and john looked straight at these guys and said do whatever you want to we're following jesus we're talking about jesus I've heard a lot over the last couple of years from Christians, faith over fear, right? Faith over fear, faith over fear, faith over fear. I just want to be clear. Faith over fear does not mean you just do whatever you want to and don't care about the consequences or how that affects your life or other people. That's not what faith over fear looks like. That, that's selfishness wrapped up in Christianity, okay? Just to be clear on that. Faith over fear doesn't mean we do whatever we want to. Faith over fear means that I trust and I follow Jesus and do what he says regardless of what may happen. It says, I'm living for you, Jesus. I'm chasing after you, Jesus. I'm obeying you, Jesus. And I trust you with whatever happens next. That's faith over fear. That's looking at Jesus more than our storm. That's what it means to trust him. And look, Jesus gave Peter and John boldness to step into this situation. And he'll give us boldness too. We just have to have faith. We have to have trust. We have to look to Jesus more then we look to our storms. He has power over our fear. So the end here uh, of where we are in chapter four, we see the first bit of opposition, right? The first bit of persecution. And this is a, this is a pivotal moment. The council, the Jewish leaders, they want to shut this movement down. And we're going to see this even more when we get into chapter five in a couple of weeks. We're going to see that they really want to stop them from talking about Jesus. They wanted to stop. But instead of giving into their fear, instead of giving into their threats, Peter and John boldly declared the gospel to these men and told them, we're not stopping. We're not stopping. And this is all because of the power of Jesus. Jesus has given them strength over their fear. Jesus has, has radically changed their lives. And as, as Peter and John told this council, Jesus is the only one who has the power to save And again, despite the clear work of Jesus being before these men, they can't see him. They can't see Jesus. They're so consumed with their sin and their selfishness and what they want, they can't see Jesus. Church family, let's not be like that council. Let's not be so consumed with our selfishness, with our lives, with our sin that we miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. So, Christian in the room, you're here, you're a believer, you've put your faith in Jesus, I want you to remind yourself, just like we saw last week, remind yourself of the beauty of the gospel, that we are sinners in desperate need of salvation, and Jesus has graciously, in his love and his mercy, given us that salvation. Let's remind ourselves of that every day, that we desperately need Jesus. And no matter what we have, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what fear we have that's leading us astray, Let's live in the power of Jesus. Let's go to him, run to him, be with him every moment of every day. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to echo what Peter and John said. There is no other name by which we can be saved except Jesus. He's the only one who has power to save. Put your faith in him. Trust in him today. He's powerful to save you from any sin. You might say, Travis, you don't, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done, what I've thought, what I've said. You don't know any of that. And you're right, I don't. But what I do know is Jesus' power saves us from all of our sins. There is no sin big enough or too powerful for the blood of Jesus Christ. He covers it all. He saves us from it all. Put your faith in him i gonna pray for us and as we do every single week, the band's gonna come and lead us in this moment of worship and we have communion uh, set up on either side of the room. This is for believers only in the room. This is a time for us to, to celebrate and worship what Jesus alone has done, that he has saved us from our sins, that, that, that he has given his life for ours on the cross and he has defeated death. So Christian in the room, as I pray, as the band plays, take whatever time you need. Spend time in prayer, spend time in worship, spend time in the presence and the glory and the power of your Lord. And as you're led, as you feel ready, you can go to either side of the room and take the elements. Non-believers in the room, this time isn't for you. I'm thankful that you're here, but I want you to know that it can be for you. And all that Jesus says to come into his kingdom, to come into salvation, is to put your faith and your trust in him. Say, Jesus, I know I need a savior and I know you're the only one who can save. I'm trusting in you today. It's as simple as that. And then come and take your first communion and let us know so that we can jump up and down and celebrate with you. Let me pray for us, church. Jesus, I thank you for this day, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you that you have the power to save. Lord, we are in such desperate need of a savior and I'm so thankful lord that you did not leave us in our sin but you stepped into this and you brought salvation to us lord we thank you we praise you for that lord give us give us strength to obey lord give us your power to live for you in this life and there's so many things that pull us away and distract us and and lead us away from you lord give us strength give us power give us increased faith and trust in you to live for you jesus We thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. It's in your powerful name that we pray, amen.